Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. All right, let's get rolling this morning. Man, I'm telling you, this is my third sermon, and I'm going to go long. No, I got I'm, I'm telling all the stories. Uh, all right, no. <laughs> I'm going to try to honor your time this morning. Before we hop in, though, let me pray and to settle my spirit and your spirit. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you uh, for your love, your grace, and your mercy, and just how you keep us. God, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. And so, God, we pray that your mercy would meet us in this room right now, God, that by only the way that you can, that you would peel back the caps of our heart and, and allow the word to penetrate, God, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would speak individually to each person and do only what you can do. God, I pray that you would guide my words and guide my thoughts. Help me to speak clearly. Help me to preach rightly and help us to listen uh, humbly uh, for your voice. God, we love you. We thank you for this beautiful community that we have. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. With that said, this morning, we're going to be closing out our Rule of Life series for 2023. And this is your first weekend with us. Then what you need to know is that as a church, we're committed to pursuing this, this thing called a Rule of Life. And what a Rule of Life is, is, it's a practice that is rooted in the fourth century of the church where you take some, some healthy rhythms and you take some, some healthy restrictions. And the goal is to create the possibility for Jesus to be at the center of our daily lives. It's, it's a, a way to make just this God-focused life easier in a world that is pulling us from here to there. Our passage for this morning is going to be coming from John 17. If you're not familiar with the chapter of 17 in John, this is a prayer of Jesus. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed as he was waiting to be betrayed. Uh, Jesus was about to go to the cross. Jesus was uh, about to be tried, uh, accused, beaten, spit upon, and nailed to a cross. And before that event happened, Jesus went out to pray. And in other uh, gospels, we read that Jesus uh, went out to pray, and then he was in such anguish that the, the sweat kind of ran from his body like blood. He, he was in so much anguish and, and had so much weight on his shoulders. And when we read uh, this chapter in John, we get to see a glimpse of some of the things that Jesus prayed about. And so if you have your Bibles, you can join me in John chapter 17. And if you are able, I'm going to invite you to stand uh, to receive God's word. <clears throat> our focus of this chapter are verses 20 through 25, so I want you to lock that away, but I felt it worthy to read the entire prayer of Jesus so that we can get the entire context. Uh, here's what it says. <clears throat> After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has, has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you, for you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but, but for those you gave me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. 
Now I am departing from this world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be unified just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in the world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Here's our focus. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world would know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Bless the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. <clears throat> Uh, this morning, we're going to be tackling a rule of life for a Christian relationship. That rule of life is accountability. Specifically, I, I want to talk about the unity of accountable community. Our conversation around this is going to flow from two theological foundations we find present in the prayer of Jesus. Uh, number one, our relationship with Christ is always in the context of the body of Christ. And number two, our commitment to the body of Christ is a measure of our commitment to Jesus. Now, accountability is a broad topic. It's one of those words that can carry a mix of thoughts and emotions. For some, it means discipline. It's this idea that like, no matter what, I'm going to have integrity and I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to be accountable for my actions. Uh, for someone else, it means authenticity and vulnerability. Like, you may be thinking of maybe an accountability group. For another, it just means that somebody's trying to get all up in my business and I ain't got time for that. <laughs> right? Ultimately, I think accountability works two ways. There is an inward motivation to follow through on a commitment and the outward motivation that holds you responsible. And in fact, in most cases, they work together. For me as a child, this was my mom saying, be home before the streetlights come on, and the belt that she kept in her room to enforce whether or not I was home before the streetlights came on, right? I apologize to the non-spankers in the room, but that was my story, all right? Accountability in simple terms means to live life with responsibility, impact, and outcomes in mind. It means to live life asking the harder questions about our choices and our needs. It's living like our decisions actually matter. Tying that idea together to community means that we do life with people with mutual responsibility in mind. We, we do life with people asking the harder questions. We, we do life with people pursuing better outcomes together. It's understanding that our commitment to Christ is a commitment to each other. As we do this series, I, I hope each and every one of you have embraced a rule of life. I, like, 
I truly believe it will make your life better. But adding accountable community to the mix goes a step further and helps us remember that all good things produced in me is really for somebody else. I believe if we aren't careful, a, a rule of life uh, disconnected from the bigger picture would quickly become just another self-serving work instead of a God-honoring worship that makes us better disciples, friends, and neighbors. So at the heart of what we're pursuing together is, is not just some cool Christian fad. I know that a lot of preachers and churches are talking about rulers' life. I know that there are a ton of podcasts that talk about a rule of life. And I think what you're seeing is that you're finding a generation in the church that has found wisdom in looking back. And when we see something that is tangible to the age in which we live, we're trying to bring it back to life for the benefit of the body. And so for us at Northeast Christian Church, this call to have a rule of life and this call to pursue Jesus in this way is really about being accountable to who Christ has called and willed us to be. Who he's called us to be both as individuals, but also as a family. In our series, we've talked a lot about phones. See, even in our graphic, these devices that have undergone a, a tremendous amount of innovation. At their onset, they, they were made for human-to-human -human connection. I like to think about, you know, the Andy Griffith show. He went over to the wall and, and get, get me whoever, and then they would call him, hey, Andy, how's it going? Like, it made it easy for you to reach another person without leaving your home. That human-to-human that -human connection was the most important part. Yet we can attest to the fact that in this modern iteration, though it still carries that ability, its most valued feature is now our entertainment. And maybe its most damaging feature is how, how it negatively impacts our human-to-human -human connection and our responsibility to each other. I mean, I was processing this early, like, like just a few years ago, and, and, and what I'm about to say is, is even a, a new trend, but, but just a few years ago, uh, you couldn't show up. The rule was you couldn't show up to somebody's house unannounced, right? We all have that rule. When somebody rings the doorbell, everybody's hitting, hitting the floor. It's like, get back, get back. They selling windows, move. Right? Now, you can't even call people's phones without making an announcement about it. All y'all have experienced it before. You call somebody for a specific reason, you go to the, voice mail, to the voicemail, and as soon as you hit the voicemail, they text you and say, what's up? <laughs> like, what's up is that I was calling you. Answer the phone. <laughs> we were talking about this in the office, just how times have changed. You know, I remember uh, when I first started trying to date that if I, if I had a girl that I wanted to talk to, if I could figure out her last name and what street she lived on, I could go to the phone book. And if I could get to that section and I could find her, her street and her last name, I could narrow down what number I needed to call unless she lived in one of those compound family situations. Then you had to try six numbers and hopefully you got the right one. Right? And the prayer was always, please don't let her daddy answer the phone. Please don't let her daddy answer the phone. Right? It just built a grit in us that, that these young folks don't know nothing about. Right? But, but that was just a normal thing. But it's clear now that our value for daily human connection has fallen victim to our culture of autonomy. Right from our phones, we can block who we want to block, unfriend who we want to friend, and unfollow who we want to unfollow. And then I, I'm going to just raise my hand and say I'm guilty. I can unfollow the family member that I can't unfriend because I'm going to see them at the family reunion. So. <laughs> like, it's easy to complain about the phones, though. A phone doesn't have a soul. It's just a phone. But in many ways, God's people in the phone share a story. What if I told you that the, um, the onset of the church at the center of their faith was a necessity for human connection? 
For the early Christian, attachment to God meant attachment to his people. They embodied this prayer of unity in John 17. In our Western iteration, we still carry this ability for connection, but our most valued necessity are things like theological agreement. Uh, what type of music? Like, are, are they doing Hillsong or are they doing hymns? Like, does that church even have free coffee? Right? Like, we have these things that, sure, they can give us a commonality. Sure, they can bring us together. But I think we could all attest they fall way short of what Jesus was praying about that night in the garden. See, just like the phone, we have many possibilities. We can leave our churches in small groups unannounced. We love autonomy, so when we hear a message we disagree with, we can grab our things and slide out the side door. And instead of seeking understanding and reconciliation and embracing the journey of faith together, this complex journey where all of us are wrong in some way, we can just write an email blasting whoever preached, or worse, write a bad review to make sure nobody else checks out this church. Ultimately, when we do that, we don't realize that along the way, we've probably lost sight of our cornerstone. We've probably lost sight of the Jesus that anguished in the garden that we would be one, that we would have some grit about ourselves, that we would have some patience and some humility about ourselves to cling to one another. Yet in the midst of all that truth, we often find that in moments of crisis and desperation, what matters most about a phone is if it can actually reach a human on the other side. And what makes our, churches, our church community so impactful and, and so special and valuable to our lives is when there are friends who know when and how to show up when tragedy hit our lives. In those moments, we need more than just a person to share funny TikTok with or to talk fantasy football. But, but we need people who know us deeply, folks who not only laugh with us, but, but mourn the tragedy or the grief of our broken lives. We need people who can speak truth, love, and honesty into us because by the way that we live towards them, they know they have to, the permission to do it. In our social media and digital age, you know, it, it's really easy to find enabling community. The same people that will roll up on your, your page and liking the video you share from church today are the same people that will roll up two hours later and like your bad political take. Right? They're going to affirm the glory of God that you're celebrating and the sin inside of you. But it's the friend that texts you and says, hey, you just posted something. That is not who you are. Take it down. Those are the friends that matter. Those are the people we know that we can depend on. The question is, have you lived in such a way that you have those kind of people? Who are the people in your life that holds you up when you struggle? Who can you call when, when your faith is weak? Who, who do you trust that can tell you that your theology or, or your lifestyle or, or your thoughts are, are, are moving you further and further away from, from a true faith. Who is that person that you know can speak truth to you in love and you receive it? Who are the people that can give you the last 10%? As you process that this morning, I pray that it strikes you that on the mind of Jesus as he prepared for the most brutal death known to man was a deep desire that those who would be called by his name would be unified, that they would not forsake what it means to be the body of Christ, but that they would instead live out their spiritual reality of oneness through Christ-honoring community. Like, think about all the things that Jesus could have been praying about right now at that time. Just think about it. But Jesus knew that he had to uh, hand the mantle off to us. It's like the last speech that a, a great athlete gives to the locker room before his last game. 
or the quarterback that's been leading the franchise and now he has to hand the ball to the rookie and he says, man, we built something here, but now it's in your hands. He's going to speak some words about deep adoration and care for what you've been called to do. And Jesus prayed a prayer holding up that there is a high cost to being called by his name. A lot of times when we think about unity, we, we limit it to not bickering with each other. Hey, let's not argue about political things. You voted this way, I voted that way. In four years, we're going to do it again. All right, let's not argue. All right, you think Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich is fried, you think Popeye's chicken sandwich is fried. Guess what? All the chicken got a lot of extra stuff in it, and they still taste good. <laughs> All right? But, but can I say something? Like, I believe that the symptom... I believe that bickering is really just a symptom of a community that has not learned to live vulnerably, honestly, and in mutual submission to one another. It's a community that, that, that has not remembered that relationship with Christ is always in the context of the body of Christ. We have been intoxicated by our individual hearts and our individual desires, and our responsibility to walk together has taken a back seat. You know, one of the most famous quotes about this idea is a quote that you've probably heard before. It's usually a quote of activism, but can I say that, like, loving each other well is activism. It says that faith is always personal but never private. I love that quote because it tells us that Jesus has unique work to do in each and every one of our lives, yet at the same time, that work includes other people. In my years of better knees, I had the opportunity to play college football. I played at a Division II school in Georgia, the University of West Georgia. And one of the biggest applications of that time was the tangible lessons of team I learned. As a scholarship athlete, yes, I worked hard as an individual. I, I had to perform my personal duty on every play. I had to make my workouts daily. I, I had to stay eligible by attending my classes and going to study hall every day. But as I did those things, they never escaped the reality that my individual commitments were always in the bigger context of carrying forth the goals of the team. They were representative of the type of teammate I was, how I, how I practiced when we practiced and how I attended class had everything to do with whether I was a team guy or a me guy. They never escaped the reality that my individual contribution was all about moving the team forward. In a similar way, church, we are all scholarship athletes. If you have received the grace of Jesus Christ, if you have allowed him to step into your life as Lord and say, if you've been baptized into this family, then you have been given the scholarship of salvation. Our debt has been paid. In accepting that scholarship, we receive a new calling that requires us to live holy, to live righteous, to live in love and commitment to Jesus. But as we do those things, we never escape the reality that our walk with Christ and all of its personal implications and all of its personal calling saves us into a new family. A new family that is not waiting to be unified with Christ when he cracks the sky, but according to our prayer, one that is working towards perfect unity as we await his coming. And the reason we do this is because our unity preaches the gospel to the world around us. In essence, how we as individuals choose to love and live in this new family towards that goal is a tangible measure of our commitment to carry forth the gospel we receive. It is living worthy of the gospel to love the people you sit with at church and to be honest and vulnerable and to walk with them and to long suffer with them and to be gentle with them and to be kind with them and to be sincere towards them. I love the way New Testament scholar Michael F. Byrd puts it when he says, the gospel is lived out when Christians practice reconciliation among themselves and exemplify it before their neighbors. The ambassadors for reconciliation have the opportunity to promote peacemaking in communities rife with factions, distrust, and mutual suspicions. How we live and walk together matters 
So how you choose to do relationship matters. I don't know about you, but, but, it, but when I lift my eyes up and I look at our city, uh, Louisville is a place rife with factions. It's, it's a faith, it's, it's a city rife with distrust. It's a place rife with mutual suspicions. Like Louisville thrives on division. Like it is a city built on separation. I'm South End people, you West End people, East End people, we ain't talking to you. Bullet County, you ain't really Louisville. Like, we have all these things that make Louisville unique. And time and time again, the city has spun and spun and spun up new policies and new ways of doing things, new ways to bus our kids across town, new ways of doing policing, new ways to sanction neighborhoods. We used to be a bunch of little cities. Now we're one big metro, but they don't pick up the trash over here. They only pick up the trash over here. Like, we got all these different things. And the problem still exists. And so maybe we ought to be a people who believe God's word and says that what this city needs more than all of that is a unified church that is a city set upon a hill. That, that when they see the way that we love and they see the way that we journey together, when they see the way that we don't dismiss each other, they have to consider that Jesus might just be who he said he was. With that said, if accountable, if accountable community is not a part of your life today, I wonder uh, what possibilities of change and growth you might be missing out on. Like what possibilities of a better life might you be missing out on because you've never invited somebody to be honest with you? In the same sense, I have to ask, who might be missing out on what God has for them because it's tied up in your unwillingness to be vulnerable about your story. Who needs to hear your story of reconciling your marriage or, or, or reconciling the brokenness that ravished your life as a young child? Who needs to see you step up and share their story honestly so that they might know that there's hope for them? Your good traits don't belong to you, but neither does your pain and your struggle. It belongs to the bigger body of Christ. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. I just want to pause there. I want, I want to read that again. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. That's powerful. We spend so much time in our prayer, prayer closets. I, mean, I remember when War Room came out. Boy, 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 all of us had sticky notes in our closets. These shoes got to go. This is, my, this is my prayer closet. And everybody took the example of how Priscilla Shire prayed in the movie, but they skipped over how she was vulnerable in the movie. What led her to the idea of prayer in the movie, in the movie was that she sat face to face with another human and allowed truth to be spoken into her life. And what the movie showed is that she went to the Lord in prayer after having that community, the Lord brought healing to her marriage. I wonder, what are the possibilities if we believe that healing was possible in this life, but also that healing was possible walking with other people? God in his goodness wills for confession to be a part of our mutual journey. Who are you confessing to? Let's throw this picture up. This is a picture of me and my wife. I know we look good. You can just not say that. This, this picture is from yesterday. The story behind this picture is a story of a couple who have spent the majority of their marriage pursuing Jesus, pursuing community, pouring into other marriages, doing premarital, doing marital crisis for other people, but on the flip side, never receiving anything poured back into them. We are a couple that are not from Louisville. We're from Georgia. We're eight hours away from the closest family member, and we have four kids. Middle school to two, we get our butt kicked every day. Like right after church today, 
they going to jump us in the parking lot. The story behind that picture is that the reason we were able to drive an hour up to Madison, Indiana yesterday and go hiking was because an opportunity of confession came up in my life and the Holy Spirit allowed me to be vulnerable. So about three weeks ago, I was having my one-on-one with my boss, Tamara, y'all know her, excellent woman. She probably won't want me to tell this story, but I'm telling it anyway. And after we talked about the business of the church, how things going, how's your ministry going, what events you got coming up, what are you praying about right now, how's your team doing, she stopped and looked up at me and said, all right, Terrence, I got a question, though. How are you doing? How are you and Brittany doing? And in that moment, I've only been here about four months, I'm like, uh, the flesh in me wanted to say, we good, we ripping and running, we doing X, Y, and Z, we busy. We ain't had no date in a while, but we good. You know, the usual. But what the Holy Spirit had come out of my mouth was, we're struggling. Said, things are hard right now. We're not seeing eye to eye. We've had some conversations in our home that are scary to me. I don't know if we've had such a hard time. And she looked at me with compassion, not judgment. She didn't say, well, you know, you have a responsibility as a pastor to to be perfect. (laughs) (laughs) She looked at me and said, well, Terrence, I understand. What can me and Wally do to serve you all? And maybe about 1.3 seconds, I said, could y'all keep our kids? (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, absolutely. She said, in fact, just yesterday, me and Wally were having a conversation about how we're empty nesters and we want to start doing stuff for young families. And I said, well, we're we're your first young family. (laughs) So she went home, talked to Wally. They got some dates and she sent them and we finally got a date squared away. And for eight hours yesterday, we we got to just go and be Terrence and Brittany for the first time in a long time. Amen. And as we walked through the woods, her about 50 yards ahead of me, me huffing and puffing, (laughs) we talked, we communicated, we decided on some things. We were filled with joy. And I was overwhelmed as I looked at that picture with the fact that the joy I felt was from the Lord yesterday, but it was from the hand of a sister and a brother in Christ. Even my joy in the Lord is not separated from my brothers and sisters in the faith. I'm so thankful that the Browns understand that our commitment to the body of Christ is a measure of our commitment to Jesus. They were so committed to love us well that we saw Jesus so much better in the midst of trying to figure out what this next stretch of marriage looks like for us. Now that you know my junk, I got to ask you something. (laughs) How does confession fit into your current relationship structure? Who are the people that know you're struggling right now? Who are the people that you can count on to keep it confidential, but who will take what you say and go to God interceding on your behalf? On the flip side, are you that type of person? Do you understand yourself to be someone who people can feel safe to confess sins and struggles to? Are you committed enough to Jesus to not allow someone else's vulnerability to become your gossip? Are you willing to hit your knees and intercede on behalf of a broken friend, understanding they don't, they don't have the power right now to do it for themselves? Are you that type of person? One of our vision targets here at Northeast is for uh, everybody who calls this place home to find some of their closest friends here. What I just read are the type of friends we're talking about. Like, people don't have time for small groups they can't be themselves in no more. 
If they can't come to your house and be themselves, then just close your small group. Just tell Richard, Terrence on the stage said, I, I need to close my small group. <laughs> like, people don't have time to go out to lunch and have to lie about what they're dealing with. Like, they need more than just, just margaritas. They need honesty. They need prayer. They need a place where they can drop it on the table, not necessarily to weigh your life down, but to invite you into solving the problem with them. And can I tell you, the times are evil. We, we don't have time for that either. The perseverance it's going to take in the coming years to be faithful to Jesus, we don't have time to not be able to be honest uh, to somebody and say, hey, man, it's getting harder to be faithful to Jesus, man. I don't know how much longer I can hold on. So in, in a way, what Jesus was praying about was a community that will be prepared to persevere. Are we a community prepared to persevere? Don't let the, the shows and the movies fool you. You can't just lock yourself in the house. You have to be faithful. You have to walk. You have to know that somebody has your back. And I believe that those people are right here in this room. If we're going to experience that perfect unity Jesus prayed for, then, man, we got to be people who care about it. We got to be people who know that a part of carrying my weight is carrying my brothers and sisters' burdens. Our commitment to each other has to be so pure and so strange that the world can't believe it, that they can't help but come peek their heads into the door and see if they can get a taste of it. And I promise you, if we're that type of community, when they show up, their lives will be changed forever. I, pr like, I pray we become a church. I pray that Northeast becomes a church, that if, if you ask somebody how you doing, it's going to be a long day. Like I pray, like I pray if somebody come in, you say, how you doing? You better be prepared to miss church because they about to say, well, let's go to the parking lot and walk. <laughs> like that's the type of church I want to be because I want us to know that that is a worthy act of worship on a Sunday morning. You can play your songs on Spotify. You can watch the sermon on replay, but you won't get that moment back. I love the way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about this in his book, Life Together. He was contrasting the way of the world and the way that Jesus calls the church forward. And if you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a fearless German pastor during the Nazi regime. He lost his life standing for Jesus and standing for his uh, Jewish brothers and sisters, seeing that they might have freedom in a time of tyranny. And... Before he left, he left us with a lot of beautiful nuggets that are applicable to day-to-day -day life even today. And here's what he says. He says, the Christian, however, must bear the burdens of a brother. He must suffer and endure the brother. It is only when he is a burden that another person is really a brother and not merely an object to be manipulated. The burden of men was so heavy for God himself that he had to endure the cross. God verily bore the burden of men in the body of Jesus Christ, but he bore them as a mother carries her child, as a shepherd enfolds the lost lamb that has been lost. God took men upon himself, and they weighed him to the ground, but God remained with them, and they with God. In bearing with men, God maintained fellowship with them. It was the law of Christ that was fulfilled in the cross, and Christians must share in that law. Are you sharing in the law of Christ? As I read that quote, my mind said he must have been studying Galatians because Galatians 6, 1 through 3 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, 
you are only fooling yourself because you ain't that important. <laughs> I love that. That last line is awesome. The same enemy that, that keeps us off rhythm and without restriction is the same enemy that keeps us from accountable relationship. The same enemy that says, if I don't show up to work and work late and sacrifice my family, the job won't get done. The same voice that says, I'm going to sign my son up for, for spring baseball and summer baseball and fall baseball. And then since Kentucky has six seasons, like six seasons of baseball, <laughs> then he won't make it to the AAA and fulfill my lifelong dream. It's this enemy of self-importance. My contribution, my life, my goals, my aim, my perception is much more important than the call of Jesus Christ on my life. None of us would ever say that, but, but many of us live that way. I just want to say this. You are not too much of a somebody to be real. I don't care what job title you have. I don't care how much money you got. I don't care who you are. If you are a part of the body of Christ and a part of being a, uh, accepted in the body of Christ is accepting the fact that you are a nobody connected to other nobodies who found somebody that can change anybody. Don't let this world lie to you if you understood that what you have is something that has been entrusted to you and that you will stand judgment for how you handled it, I think you might look at it a little different. In the same sense, you're not carrying too much. You're not too much of a mess to be helped. Don't let the story that you carry keep you in bondage. Don't let the lies of the enemy or the way that your family handled dysfunction keep you from embracing the new standard of the family you're a part of, the family that supersedes your blood family. Don't let the enemy whisper to you that you're so broken that you can't be helped. Your brokenness doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. It belongs to everybody in this room. I am yours and you are mine. And the same thing goes for us who carry brokenness. If you understood that maybe the brokenness you carry is a brokenness that has been entrusted to you to multiply even though you didn't choose it, would you walk with it differently? If you understood that the broken things in your life is your ministry in this world, would you, would you carry it differently? I think you might. You are not too much, and you are not too much of somebody. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the heart of Jesus. It's about what he wants. It's about what he requires. Yes, we rest in grace, but we have to walk the way. We conflate these ideas sometimes. Jesus says, hey, my burden is light and easy. He says, my, my yoke is easy. He preached that, but he also preached that his way is really hard. So yes, your salvation is easy. Yes, the grace you receive is easy because all you had to do was do this and receive it. But Jesus said, you're going to have to have some grit to walk with me. He said, that path is narrow. It's hard. So being a Christian is a lot of hard work. But he says on the other side of it, man, the inheritance you're storing up for yourself, no eye could see, no mind could imagine. But something we don't talk about enough is that our disobedient on the walk is us robbing ourselves of the inheritance that we're supposed to be storing up. Like we don't spend enough time thinking, yeah, like we all just want to get into heaven. We all just want to be in eternity. But the way that the scriptures explain it is that like, hey, how you live, yeah, like your faith will get you in, but how you live in eternity is well determined by how you live right now. 
So what are you storing up for yourself by refusing to be vulnerable and real with the people beside you and honoring the heartfelt prayer of Jesus? We got to do better because I want all of us to be blessed. I want all of us. I want all of us to get all the inheritance. I want to have the, the, the Xbox 7005 just like you. <laughs> so, so what do we go from here, Terrence? You've yelled a lot. You spit a lot. What do we do from here? How do we move forward? And I just want to give you, personally for me, five nuggets of wisdom of an accountable life. These are five things that I have learned to embrace over the last few years uh, of this journey of really trying to be the most accountable person I can be. How can I be an authentic Christian? Here are five things that you need. Number one, you need a soft heart towards truth. You need a soft heart. We live in a world where you got your truth, I got my truth, they got their truth, but there ain't no truth. But our prayer says that there is a truth. It's God's word. And so we got to have a soft heart for truth. We got to make sure that our, our heart is not rock, but it's, but it's soft clay so that when we're sitting across from somebody who's genuinely trying to love us well through their words, that we are able to receive it. The second thing you need is a healthy sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. We have a lot of Christians that don't really know how to operate in the spirit. Their whole discipleship journey has been just head knowledge. Do you know the right things? And then do you commit yourself to working hard in the right things? But Jesus, if you go read the chapters before John 17, Jesus says that the way to a successful Christian life is actually dependency on the Holy Spirit. He says, it is better for me to go, but when I go, I'm sending one like me, and that one like me will remind you of everything that I've taught you. He will be your, primarily, your primary disciple maker. But we spend so much time trying to figure out how the Holy Spirit works. Does, does the Holy Spirit come down like a fire? Does he, does he make me dance like I can't dance no more? Does he, does he make me speak in tongues? Does, does, but, and, and all Jesus is saying is you just need to know him. You don't need a theological uh, degree. You don't need to go read a 500-page book to know the Holy Spirit. You know what you need to do? Say, Holy Spirit, help me. And watch what happens. Third thing you need is an intentional pursuit. What are you chasing after? What is your plan? What, what, what is your strategy? How are you going to live out all that we talked about today? What is your best next step? Is there one person you can put in your mind? to say, this is the person I'm going to start with? Is there somebody you need to apologize to because maybe they came to you in all vulnerability and you shut down? What, what are you pursuing? In the same way, you need an obedient resistance. The Bible tells us over and over and over again that we have enemies that are chasing down our souls. We read about it in our reading plan uh, in the mornings, but, but there's a, a flesh that chases us down that wants us to choose uh, against Christ. There is an enemy who hates the fact that we have an, an inheritance and he doesn't. But then there's the wounds and the lies of our story that try to tell us that another way is not possible. By reliance on the Holy Spirit, there's an, there's an obedient resistance that we can walk in that day by day pulls us away from the bondage that has shaped our lives. Maybe it starts with going to an accountability group. Maybe if you have a hidden sin, it starts with confessing that sin. Maybe if you have a struggle that you've never invited a, a next level of treatment into, it's inviting that next level of treatment to. But Jesus taught this in the scriptures. When he cast out the demons, he, he taught that, hey, if, if nothing replaces the space that those demons occupied, then those demons would show up even stronger. 
And what he was teaching was, as you removed the, 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 the mess that this broken world has, has filled our souls with, we must replace it with the righteousness and the grace and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in his way. The last thing I have for you is for you to simply go and be a 10% person. The number one way to be able to receive 10% people if you yourself are committed to be a 10% person. So go and be that person that will speak the truth in love, but not just speak the truth in love and then run, but hold somebody's hand and walk them back to the feet of Jesus. Being a Jesus person is a very inconvenient life. Jesus is interrupted every day to the point where he's had to start getting up early. I mean, it's practical. He, you read, he said he had to get up early and go high. And they were like, where Jesus at? We're called to live that same type of life. Let us have a heart to be interrupted for each other. I got two final steps for you and then I'm out of your way. And these are just challenges to help you take this next step. Number one, if you are in a small group, I just challenge your small group over the next few weeks to have everybody in the group go around and share their story. Just have everybody in the group come prepared to share their story. And I'm not just talking about their salvation story. I'm talking about their story of being saved yesterday. I'm talking about the, the testimony of how the grace of Jesus shows up day after day and rescues me from the things that I'm trying to run from. That's the testimony we need to hear in our small groups. The second challenge is I have for you, if you're a person that you know that you're not ready for that, that you have some things that need to be tended to, I just invite you to come out Tuesday and allow us to pray over you and pray for you. Come sit and be with the Lord and hear what he has to say about what you're carrying. And allow people who intercede, it's our job to intercede on behalf of you, but who love you and, and who intercede on your behalf and care about you and think about you and how we plan ministry and how we do life around here. Let us come alongside of you and encourage you. Not towards us and not towards the ideas of, of Northeast. Not towards self. but towards Jesus. Church, God has called us to be more than just church members. We use that language stakeholder for a reason. He called us to carry something. Let us be faithful to carry each other until we meet our Savior face to face. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. You're worthy and you're mighty and God, we're just grateful for you. So God, we pray that you would allow every word said to penetrate our hearts and move us closer to who you've called us to be. God, we thank you. There's none like you. Holy Spirit, help us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.